You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is the Hot Stove Report. Going, going, goodbye baseball. On 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle app. And hello again, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Hot Stove 2020. I'm Rick Riz along with Shannon Dreher and Gary Hill Jr. And we're getting ready for another baseball season right around the corner. Spring training gets underway. Pitchers and catchers report February the 12th down in the Valley of the Sun in Peoria, Arizona. That's right around the corner. Remember, the opening game is March the 26th right here at T-Mobile Park when the Mariners entertain the Texas Rangers, Shannon, Gary, I tell you what, man, it's going to be here before we know it. Shannon's, Shannon's packing for spring. She's leaving in days. We've got some really serious shoe evaluations. <laughs> I was going to go right there, but you beat me to it. And yeah, no, trying to get that under control this year. The truck leaves on Monday, yeah, I believe. Yeah, it leaves so I think Monday. I'm taking it over on Friday. So, yeah. so that's just for your shoes, right? The yes, truck? the truck is just for the shoes. Yeah, maybe some weightlifting equipment too for the team. No, how, how many pairs do you go down? I, I, I don't I even go want down to talk two. about it. No. Nope. I'm not going to talk about no. it. I, it's getting better. Three, four. It's getting better. <laughs> this, this is going to be your longest stay ever, right? No, don't tell me that because I think I've got it under control right now. But if we, I mean, it is six weeks, this is a right? long one. This is a very not yeah. not complaining in the least bit. And there are good shoe stores down there, so it exactly. should be fine. It was short last year because we went to Japan and had to take off early. Which I would do every year if that were that an was a great oh, trip, wasn't yeah. it? That was fun. It was amazing. Broadcasting. Then we had Junior with us that one, that one game. That whole trip was incredible. Yeah. I will never forget that entire trip. It was no, amazing. That was, that was so much fun. But I tell you what, folks, we've got a great show. Gary Hill put together another wonderful uh, program tonight for Hot Stove. We're going to visit with, uh, I tell you what, this young man burst, exploded onto the scene last year. We oh. talked so much about. Uh... <laughs> 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 what was that? <laughs> we. T- we talked about so much talent in the Mariners organization, you know, coming along, and then we saw Kyle Lewis burst onto the scene, home run in his uh, first major league game, home runs in his first three, home runs in six of his first ten. We're going to be joined by Kyle Lewis here in the first hour. We'll also visit with Mariners Director of Player Development. This guy's been so busy, especially over the last four or five years. Andy McKay is going to join us. This is his fifth year with the organization. He oversees the entire farm system, which produced 23 all-Stars last year. Shannon, Gary, that's going to be great talking with Andy. He was busy the other day at the media luncheon talking about all the all the young talent in the organization right now. I'm excited about it. Yeah, I'm interested to talk to him a little bit about how things are different this year in the minors. Last year we knew they kept a squad together at A, and that was the intent. Yeah. Now what does it look like now that the majority of them are going to be mm-hmm. at the big league level fairly soon in the year? How do they handle these young players? And really interested to hear a little bit more yeah. about that second and third wave. And of course, it right. sounds like one of the biggest waves is kind of pushing in the, you know, pushing the envelope, knocking on the door, trying to skip a grade right now. So yeah. it should be interesting to hear how they plan to handle all of that. Skip a grade is a great way to put it. Yeah. I like that. It seemed like uh, Andy and everybody in the organization did a nice job of when the guys were ready, because that's the main point, you know, he made. He says, you know, they they will tell us when they're ready to move up. But it seemed like they made that advancement fairly quickly last year from low A, West Virginia, to high A, Modesto, on to Arkansas, where there were, I believe, eight or nine all-stars last year, and they made it to the playoffs. So 
when you have that wave coming like that, it's just a matter of time before they get here. And then you have Evan White, who signed a six-year major league contract. We talked about it last week after the news came out, signing a big league contract to he hasn't played above double A, but that's what the organization thinks about Evan White. Absolutely, and it was great to talk to Evan White last week too. He yeah. was he was fabulous. And it was interesting to hear Jerry DePoto in Media Day, and we'll talk more about Media Day later in the show, but talk about how they wouldn't mind if Evan White was not alone in terms of signing a deal like that. Yeah. And they have a young core that they would like to lock up moving forward and be here for the long term. And then, Gary, your look into the American League West. We're also going to visit with a gentleman by the name of Chris Townsend, who covers the Oakland A's, does pre and post for uh, the A's, and also has a daily show. So we'll find out what's going on with the uh, Oakland A's uh, this year in the American League West. They're always tough. You think 97 wins? Are they going to get to 98? Are they going to get to 100 this year? Just uh, They can't keep sneaking up on people. Yeah, that's that's something down there, isn't it? It really is, and it's going to be interesting to talk to Chris about on the field, off the field, it's pretty interesting times in Oakland as well. And they just had their fan fest. And I heard Matt Chapman talking about wanting to sign a long-term deal there, which would be amazing for the A's. I think they need to do. That. he is truly an underrated player. I think he's one of the best players in the American League. I feel like maybe he doesn't always get that kind of credit, but he's an MVP candidate in my mind. Yeah, I, I think they're bookends too with Matt Chapman and also uh, Olsen. Yeah, there that's for, right. First base, you know, if they get those two guys signed for a long time. That's that's rough going for everybody. Everybody in baseball. These are good offensively, but especially what they bring defensively. Yeah, it'd be it'd be great for the fans down there too. Shannon and I were talking about this actually uh, before we went on, thinking about who have been the long term A's in recent memory. And Eric Chavez is a name Shannon brought up, and that's about not many. As re- right, I mean, it's been about raising the no. stars and then trading them yeah. for something. But if yeah. the stars are willing to stay. I mean, that's their ideal situation. If they got one, let alone two, that changes the equation for them, Yeah, I think, dramatically. Looking at Twitter right now, the Giants are doing their hot stove show right now. We're competing with the Giants? <laughs> <laughs> we should check in with them at some point. They're doing down there in the Bay Area. So, so. you're saying like we, we should baseball Slater time. Austin is on at 7.15 and Brandon Crawford at 7.35. We should simulcast sometime. Go on shows together. That'd be great. Yeah. Well... <laughs> You know, you got you got that big football game coming up on Sunday, but I tell you what, it's it's nice to know that people are talking about baseball right now. Rainy outside there, a little on the chilly side, but the, you know our thoughts are to uh, some sunshine and getting down to Arizona and getting this thing started because I'm I'm really excited. I really am. You know, to see the young players get another opportunity. We saw a lot of young players get here last year. We'll talk with uh, Andy about this in particular. You know, Kyle Lewis, Shed Long, Jake Fraley, Braden. Bishop, Justice Sheffield got here. Justin Dunn made his major league debut. Malik Smith has been a little around the last uh, few years with uh, with Tampa Bay and now with the Mariners last year, Dylan Moore, Tim Lopes. So I'm excited to get down there, Shannon, and uh, warm up a little bit, dry out, and uh, watch these kids get better. Almost there. <laughs> All right. We've got a heck of a show for you. Hot Stove 2020 coming your way live from downtown Seattle. Shannon Dreyer, Gary Hill Jr., Rick Riz. Stay tuned. We'll be back with uh, a talented i mean a very talented young outfielder kyle lewis is going to join us right after this time out 
All things Mariners, all off-season. The Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Here's the pitch to him. Swung on, fly ball into right field in deep. Kramer going back to the warning track, looking up. Goodbye, baseball. Over the tall wall in right field, an opposite field home run for Kyle Lewis. His fifth home run in the major leagues in his eighth game in the big leagues. Home run number five already. He goes the other way, and the Mariners have a 3-0 lead over the Pirates. What a start to his major league career, Kyle Lewis. Just 24 years of age, and like I said earlier a few minutes ago, he burst onto the scene with all those home runs in a hurry, including that one right there. He was at Double-A Arkansas last year at 263, 11 home runs, 62 RBIs. Then in the big leagues in 18 games last year, 18 games, Kyle Lewis hit 268 with six home runs and 13 runs bad. And then Kyle's our guest here on Hot Stove. How you doing, kid? Where are you? Man, I'm in Atlanta. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Outstanding. What's your offseason been like after enjoying that uh, final month of the season last year, your first month in the big leagues? Man, I uh, got away, went to Hawaii early in the offseason and uh, had a blast out there. And uh, that's a place I recommend to anybody. He <laughs> <laughs> got that right. Looking for, looking for a vacation spot, and then uh, came back and came back to Atlanta to be around my family and uh, hit the ground running. Been working hard ever since, so it's been a blast. Kyle, it was uh, some fun stories uh, about back in December. We were trying to get a bunch of you on the phone for interviews, and everybody was preoccupied with your teammate Evan White's wedding. And you guys really, it, it sounds like we saw how close you were last year, that Arkansas group. Sounds like it really carried over. Yeah, yeah. Really uh, what I would consider to be lifelong friendships, you know, at this point. And, uh, you know, me and Evan started off really tight in Modesto, and then Justin came over and he jumped right in. Jake, Fraley, Donnie, Walton, and uh, just really formed a, you know, a really tight group. And uh, to be able to go up to his wedding and celebrate that really kind of, you know, kind of made me realize, too, like, this is a really strong bond we have. And I was able to be in the wedding, too, so that was a big blessing. After everything you've gone through in your career, what did last year mean to you, not only the success in the minors, but coming up to the big leagues and having such a, a monster September? I think I think it just, you know, you just keep working, you keep plugging away, you know, keep chipping away. You never know what situation you'll find yourself in. And I end up you know, dealing with a lot of adversity and a lot of ups and downs, but you never know what, what the, the India story is going to look like. So that's what I try to do. Try to just keep writing my story every day and uh, chipping away and, and giving it my best shot. So it was pretty satisfying to be able to have some success, you know, at the end of that season there and, uh, and hopefully get that, get that rolling in next year. Yeah, Kyle, the start of your uh, journey was so much fun to watch uh, last year. In your first game, you hit a home run. And like I said, home runs in your first three games. Did you surprise yourself uh, last year and that, that big smile on your face the whole time? But you always have that smile. But what was that like for you uh, to go through that and hit that first home run? Well, I had kind of found something at the end of the season going into the double-A uh, playoffs, and it had a really strong playoffs down there. But I felt like, you know, I could I could carry over and uh, bring with me. So I was kind of coming off a good, a good, a little stretch of success going into my first big league game, and to be able to have some instant success there too was really satisfying. And 
really kind of felt like a little little bit out of body experience, you know, for those first few days, just kind of trying to get my feet under me. And uh, my family was up there celebrating and going crazy too. So it was just, it was a surreal experience and, uh, you know, hard to really describe that, yeah. put it into words. But I, all I can think about is, you know, when I was in the double A playoffs, you know, was really having a lot of success there. And I just tried to keep that going. So what did you find at the end of the double A season there? I, I saw one thing, you have good power the other way. Yeah, really, that was it. Just just trying to tailor myself to, uh, you know, staying on that fastball, staying staying ready, fastball middle away, and, and uh, you know, looking right center and, and getting back to my strength. You know, and and uh, not trying to deviate from what I know I can do well, which is hit the ball, you know, the right right field, right center field with power. So just try to stick to that and uh, stick to my game and let that be what that was going to be. And I think that ended up kind of helping me out. We're visiting with Kyle Lewis right now on the Mariners Hot Stove Show. And, Kyle, in talking with Scott Service toward the end of the year, he said that one of the most important things that these young players learn is learn what their big league routine is going to be. What did you learn about routine in the time that you were up, and how did you kind of process that once you got away and, and had a little bit of time in the off season? Yeah, I think every everything as far as work ethic just took a, another notch up once I was able to see you know, the organization that you have to have day to day. And my routine ended up really getting, you know, really, really almost to the minute, you know, once I was able to see some of the veteran guys and how, how they go about it, you know, they come in every day and, and it's pretty much the same thing, you know, what you're going to get from them from a pregame standpoint. And then that ends up being, you know, what you're going to get from them in the game. And uh, that's the thing that I've kind of tried to take into the off season now, pretty much make it, you know, by the minute every day when I, when I, make out my schedule for the day I'm going to hit at this time I'm going to run at this time I'm going to lift and I try not to come off of that schedule as much as I can so that I can be consistent and continue to build those habits going into the year and after going through it last year in September and knowing that there's opportunities in the outfield this year how does that change your mindset coming into this spring as opposed to some springs in the past I think I think naturally you have a little bit more expectation I feel like you know, at this point, I expect to make the team and expect to contribute to the team, you know, at a high level. But, you know, that's, I think every player who, you know, views views highly of himself is going to say that. But I feel like, you know, with this organization and the state of it right now and the state of the roster, I feel like there's opportunity there. And uh, for me, you know, if that, if that door is open, I'm going to try to bust through it and uh, take hold of it. Let's talk about that, Kyle. Visiting with Mariners outfielder Kyle Lewis. Kyle we talk so much about so much talent in the organization right now. First-round draft pick out of Mercy University, but then here comes all this other young talent over the last couple of years, Jerry DePoto really loading up the organization. So my question to you is, what did you see in the minor leagues last year with this young talent, all this ability, and especially at AA Arkansas, I think you had about eight or nine All-Stars at AA last year. Yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of elite-level talent in our organization. And uh, it's really starting to kind of take hold of a, a blueprint of some organizations in the past that have really built from their farm system and, and built into a really successful major league team. And uh, people on the outside who, who have been giving us feedback have also been saying that, that we have the talent to become that you know, next team that does mm-hmm. that. And uh, I really believe in that based on, you know, seeing the guys I, I played with, you know, and some of the guys even, you know, maybe in high A coming up and, uh, you know, it's a really strong farm system, a really strong system, and a lot of young talent that I personally really believe in, you know, being around these guys and, and being around their personalities as well. 
Kyle, you had an opportunity to see a little bit of Logan Gilbert while he was up at Double A. Tell us what you saw from him. Uh, incredible, incredible pitcher. Um, a lot of movement on the fastball with plus breaking ball as well. You know, and, and not not a lot of walks. Guy is attacking. You know, he's attacking the zone. He's working. And the guy that we we love playing behind because we knew every time out he was going to pretty much dominate. You know, and uh, hold the team. You know, one or two runs keep us in it, give us a chance to win. He's a guy that I think can be an elite, elite arm moving forward. You know, he's got an elite fastball already, so, you know, it's really fun to play behind him. And he's a really quiet, really humble guy, too, so you know, really easy to play with. So in September last year, your first experience in the big leagues, did you have a big league moment, whether it was on the field or off the field, a moment where, like, wow, I can't believe this is happening, that sort of moment? Yeah, we I think we were playing the White Sox, and uh, it was the eighth inning. We were down by four, and it was two runners on. And they brought in Herrera from – I remember watching Herrera when I was in high school, maybe college, early college or something. So when I was facing him, it was – it was uh, I don't know why that, that particular pitcher coming out the bullpen just kind of like struck me, and uh, I was kind of like, wow, this is really happening. And then I ended up hitting a home run to center off of him, and that just like kind of took me back. Like that was kind of the moment where – it kind of hit me kind of hard. And then I looked up in the stands and my brother was up there going crazy. And uh, I think that that was where it kind of sunk in for me. And uh, it was just a, a little bit of an out-of-body experience right there. So who got the first hit ball or the first home run ball in your family? Uh, I got the, I've got the first home run ball, but uh, my parents have pretty much everything else. Like I, I give them a lot, you know, so they can hold on to it. Kyle, we saw the Mariners put together a pretty fun video in the off season. You guys did a little bit of shoe shopping. How'd Evan White do with the with the shoe shopping? Oh, uh, Evan, Evan went in there with a with a blank slate. He uh he was admitting he didn't he didn't know anything about shoes, and he was just trying to get something nice, get him a nice pair. And we were able to actually pick him out one of my favorite pairs. So it was pretty cool to see. And then uh, Justin Dunn ended up crashing the party. And uh, he took home some of the nicest shoes I've ever seen. So it was actually cool for him to show up kind of late and uh, it made for a good video. We ended up having a lot of fun with that. And uh, I definitely would probably go back to that store next time I go up there. So it was cool. <laughs> Have you seen Dunn's collection? That sounds amazing. Yeah, I've seen it on video. I've seen it on video. I have a pretty impressive one that I thought I thought was cool. And then when I saw his, I was like, oh, man, I got I to gotta keep my mouth shut because he's got, I mean, it's, it's incredible. You know, and I'll hopefully – Next year I'll get up there to his house and uh, see it in person and see if I can steal a couple of them. <laughs> so who do you pattern your style after? I mean, you dress, you just dress great, you know, and uh, there's a lot of fun stuff out there. My style, I, I try to honestly like, you know, I pattern a lot of like NBA. I, I look uh, look at guys in the NBA coming up, coming through when they arrive to the game and my agent and I'll screenshot a, a – uh, you know, a nice outfit and say, hey, like, what brands are these or something like that and try to go pick that up for myself. And uh, that's kind of the main kind of the main way that I kind of figure out what to wear is just off of seeing, you know, different guys, different guys that are more established or whatnot, what they're wearing and kind of try to see if it's a style that'll fit me, you know, being a tall, lean guy. And, and uh, I try to pick, pick clothes that'll fit that. Well, tell what, young man, you have style when you walk in the clubhouse, you have style when you walk out of the clubhouse. 
And now you got some style when you're on the field. It was so much fun to watch you play when you came up in September. We're going to see a lot of you this year, and especially at spring training. So, Kyle, thanks a lot for joining us tonight here in Hot Stove. We appreciate it, buddy. Yeah, no problem. Can't wait to see you guys, and uh, it'll be a good year. I appreciate you for having me on. Oh, it's great to have you on. It's going to be a fun time. Kyle Lewis, Mariners outfielder here on Hot Stove. We're going to be back, and uh, more Hot Stove continues with the Mariners director of uh, player development. Andy McKay is going to join us right after this timeout. Back to more of the Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Say, friends, the Mariners are changing the game with our all-new Flex membership. Go to the games you want, sit in the seats you want, and get the savings you want, all when you want. For more information on how to choose your membership and enjoy discounted seats all season long, visit mariners.com slash flex. Rick Riz along with Shannon Dreyer and Gary Hill as we continue the first hour of Hot Stove uh, tonight with spring training just right around the corner. How much fun was that talking with uh, Kyle Lewis and the the prospects of this young man really taking off this year after he, you know, came on really strong in the month of September. I love what he said at the end. It's going to be a good year. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Kyle. Fun. All right. Let's let's have a good year. It was it was great to hear. It's going to be a lot of fun. And right now we got a chance to visit with our very special guest here in the first hour of Hot Stove, Mariners Director of Player Development, Andy McKay. Andy, how you doing? Thanks for coming on with us tonight. Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Andy, we just talked with uh, Kyle Lewis uh, a few minutes ago. Kyle, last September, really was something, you know, the six home runs in uh, ten games and uh, was so much fun to watch. As the director of player development, you're in charge of the farm system, all these kids coming from A-ball, rookie ball, A-ball, double-A, triple-A to the big leagues, the Dominican Summer League. How does that make you feel? Do you feel like a proud papa when you see a guy like Kyle Lewis do what he did last September, Andy? And the other kids too. Uh, yeah, you do, and and, they, and you reflect on a lot of things. And you know, I I, I think mostly about all of the people that were involved in that journey. And with Kyle specifically, um, you know, you just kind of reflected back on the injury and that rehab process that was so grueling, with so many ups and downs, and how much time he missed. And yeah. you know, people forget last year was his first spring training that he was actually able to participate in. So. Uh, it, it was a great moment. It was a great moment for him and his family and so many people uh, that helped him along the way from our uh, trainers to our strength coaches to our hitting coaches. And uh, it, it was a great moment for him. And and what I think will, was ultimately just going to be the, the beginning of what I, what I think is going to be a great career for him. Andy, it's been a, a process getting the minor league system up and running with all of your processes, you know, the hitting, the pitching, the fielding, uh, getting everybody on the same page, speaking the same language, and when, you know, the different camps that you've had, everything that's been invested into, uh, I think, kind of getting what we saw this year, particularly from that group at AA. As these players come up to the big leagues and as they came up to the big leagues, particularly late last year, I know that when they walk into that clubhouse, they're a little bit more out of your hands, but what are you watching at that point, and what can you learn from seeing them at that level and take forward into what you're doing with the farm system? Yeah, that's a uh, that's a great question. I think when you look at kind of this first wave of players that began to transition in, you're you're getting a lot of data points as to 
things that you can learn from that particular transition that you can uh, immediately take back to the next wave and the following wave to try to uh, help educate them about that process. And, you know, for the most part, we, we've had a very seamless transition, and I think that transition will be even smoother moving forward with, with Carson Vitale now on the major league staff with Jarrett DeHart full-time in the major leagues and with Pete Woodworth up there. But, you know, really what you're looking for is, is that deer in the headlights look and, you know, which from Kyle Lewis, you didn't see that from Art Warren. You didn't see it from Donnie Walton. Uh, you didn't see it. And, and that felt good because it, it, it gave me the confidence to, to know that what we're doing um, has real merit to it. And we were able to prepare those guys for, what I think most of them would tell you is the biggest moment of their life, and they were they were able to go out and 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 stay in attack mode rather than you know that momentary freeze mode that happens to so many players. So that was the biggest thing is just seeing them look like they belonged and they look like they they were they were at the right level, they were playing at the right league, and you know for guys like Art who I mean he pitched as well as he's pitched all year on that stage. Um, no, it was good to see. You've had some time to reflect on it now, but in 2019 overall, how happy are you with the development you saw? I think across the board, we were pleased. It was it was a unique year in, in terms of we had been building, you know, what kind of what we call our process for really three years, and then, you know, kind of over the course of you know, call it eight weeks, you have this massive influx of talent come into the system. And whether it was, you know, acquiring Kellenic or having Julio come over from the uh, Dominican Republic and come to the States for the first time, to have Kyle Lewis healthy for the first time, to have Logan Gilbert healthy for the first time, to get Sheffield to get done. And so it was kind of the perfect storm of a, of a fairly well-developed process that had been three years in the making, all of a sudden having this influx of talent with uh, just really good kids, really good players. And, you know, then you continue to have a, a really good draft class this year that, uh, you know, from George Kirby to, to, to uh, Williamson and Campbell and Elliott. Um, I think it was just kind of the, the perfect combination and the perfect timing for all those things to come together. But uh, we're proud of the year. Uh, it was a really good year, no matter really how you break it down. And, you know, now it's about taking a deep breath and knowing that 2020 is a brand new year and there's no carryover. We don't get any points moving forward. So we're starting clean and, uh, you know, back to work. Visiting with Mariners Director of uh, Player Development, Andy McKay. Andy, uh, it, this says a lot about uh, your, your coaches and your managers down in the minor leagues. And, and, and watching these kids improve from one level to another, how do you know when a kid is ready to move up to the next level? There's multiple ways, and you know we have a a, a, a very strong collaborative collaborative process, and so there's multiple areas and multiple uh, channels for which people to kind of raise their hand and say, "Hey, I want to talk about player X." Uh, oftentimes, it comes from the coaches on the ground at the affiliate, where they'll simply pick up the phone and call me and say, "Hey, Andy, I, mm-hmm. I think this guy's at the wrong level. It's time for him to move." Uh, other times it comes from our analysts in the office where, you know, for whatever reason, data that they're pulling up is just showing that uh, he's he's ready. He's checked off the boxes. Um, and sometimes it's Jerry DePoto picking up the phone and, and calling me. Sometimes it, 
um, originates as one of our coordinators. So, you know, we have a, a group of people that feel confident to pick up the phone at any time and, and begin the conversation. And I'll give you one clear-cut example with, uh, with Kellenick this year in West Virginia. We, you know, we began the conversation pretty early, but then we did a real deep dive and we started uh, looking at the, the path of high school signing position players that moved quickly through a system that were kind of perennial all-stars at the major league level. And we looked at how many at-bats did they get in low A? Mm-hmm. And it was, it, was, it was pretty eye-opening that there was, a, there was a lot of consistency there. And so that gave us a little bit of a roadmap to follow. And you were able to say things like, well, you know, if, if Mike Trout got X amount of at-bats in low A, if Manny Machado got X amount of at-bats, if players like that, you know, it gave you a little bit of a roadmap to follow. And so, um, you know, that was a piece of uh, evidence that we, that we used to help make our decision. And, um, and you know, that was an example that was kind of led by our, by our front office there. What does that roadmap look like for young college type pitchers with really good control? <laughs> Would you be referencing that? <laughs> Maybe three, that three or so of them. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, it was wonderful. There, somebody put together a really clever um, uh, infographic, and it's like, I think the last time George walked somebody, I, I think Barack Obama was still our president, or something <laughs> like that. But, um, you know, you. You try to stay away from predicting because once you predict something, that you you don't want to make it the self fulfilling prophecy where you rush somebody because you thought they might be ready or you held somebody back. But what I can tell you is, is based on what George did last year in Everett. You know, if he can stay healthy, um, I would think he would move probably faster than what you've seen. Um, I, I believe in him. I believe in him right now, and. Uh, while we won't rush him, we're also not going to hold him back for any predetermined reason. And, you know, he's very likely going to start opening day in Modesto for us. And, you know, as soon as we all feel collectively like uh, he's ready for a new challenge, he'll be in Arkansas. And whether that's after five starts or after 15 starts, it doesn't uh, it doesn't really matter. And, you know, we kind of had that question thrown out last week on media day and, you know, with all of these players, like a Kellenic, I know everybody wants to see him in Seattle uh, this summer, and uh, I don't think anybody wants to see him in Seattle more than he wants to see himself. But if Jared just plays all year in Double A and has a solid year that allows him to get promoted to Triple A in, in 21, it's a really good year based on his age still. And if Julio plays the whole year in Modesto, um, it's still a good year as long as he's continuing to get better because it's really not about how quickly you can get to the big leagues. It's about how long you can stay there and how much impact you can have once you get there. And, you know, developing talent is, is someone once told me, it's like, you know, it's like going to the apple orchard and not all the apples get ripe at the exact same time. Some of them have different uh, paths and, um, but it doesn't really determine what it's going to look like at the end of their career. And some guys might get there a little later, but have more impact and stay longer. So that's something we try to keep in mind. Along those lines, I'm always fascinated by the nature versus nurture when you talk about a Major League Baseball player, kind of talent versus development and the percentage of each when you see a player have success at the big league level. In a general uh, general sense, what are your thoughts on when you see a player, what's the percentage 
uh, a successful player has between talent or development in terms of being a successful big leaguer? Yeah, again, there's no formula, and they're all uh, they all have their own paths forward. And you know, you definitely have players that you run into where you watch them compete, and you just think, you know, God, genetics are a wonderful thing, <laughs> um, and that's a part of it for yeah. for a lot of players. And there are players that they can get to the big leagues, and it's still not a good enough league for them. That you actually think, God, there should be a uh, a better league because this player is so good, and that's part of it. And then you have players that just know how to work. Uh, they have a, a a baseball IQ that they are they're able to separate themselves from. Some people just have a sheer will, and most players have some combination of all of those things. Uh, but there's really not a blueprint, and 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 that's one of the wonderful things about about teaching is, you know, you have to get to know the student and you have to um, kind of walk in their shoes and kind of honor who they are as an individual and know that there's a place for a Dan Wilson. There's a place for a Jay Buhner. There's a place for a Randy Johnson. Um, there's a place for a Kyle Lewis and all very different people. Um, but they can still get to the same place. It's just going to be a little bit different as to how they go about it. And, um, you know, all of that being said, you know, um, genetics are really important. Andy, um, and there, and those just things you can't teach. Andy, you bring up a lot of good points here. You know, you 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 take a look at talent and everything, and and kids can really have uh, you know good years here and there as they move along in the organization or in high school or in college. How do you go about finding about finding out about the kid as an organization before yeah. you make him a first round <laughs> draft pick? You know, like Kyle Lewis, Evan White, such a great kid. All these kids that I met when I went down to. Arizona Fall League and, 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 you know, at spring training. How do you find about out about the young man himself? Yeah, and obviously a ton of credit goes to our scouting group here. And obviously you're trying to really get to know the kid. And our scouts have such a difficult job because you're trying to not only identify the physical tools, but then you're trying to identify, you know, the mental makeup that allows them to compete but also you want good citizens. And, you know, like I've used this joke a lot, you know, the, the Alvin Davises and the Dan Wilsons of the world, they don't grow on trees <laughs> where you just have these, these wonderful performers who are ruthless competitors and then are just wonderful citizens off the field. Mm -hmm. And that's the goal. That's what we want. And, you know, so our scouts, they spend a lot of time, you know, for example, if you're, if you're talking about a high school player, you know, you're going to talk to the high school principal. You're going to talk to the English teacher. You're going to talk to every coach he's ever played for. You're going to watch and you're going to observe. You're going to go into the home and you're going to watch how they interact with their parents. And, and again, you're watching, you're observing, you're making decisions, but there is no blueprint. And, yeah. and, and there's no perfect person and there's no perfect player either. And every player, every human being has their imperfections. And so you're having to weigh out what you're willing to live with and also what you think can, can grow and mature a little bit. And that's another uh, just really exciting part of the job is, is watching a young player grow up over two or three years in your system. And, you know, we, we want to teach and coach and work with our kids like they're our own children. And we want to be incredibly patient with them, but we want to be persistent with them. 
We want to hold them accountable, but we want to understand that they're going to make mistakes. And, you know, good people do really stupid things sometimes, and they have to learn and and move forward. So, um, but I will I, I will second what you said. We've we have accumulated a pretty large group of really talented players who are good people, and that's a lot of fun to work with every day. Andy, we've just got a couple minutes left, but uh, we're getting set to head down to Arizona. When we look at the schedule and the reporting days, man, it looks like the young guys are going to get started a lot later. I get a lot of questions of when people and where people can see them down in Arizona. Give us a little bit of a just kind of preview of where the minor leaguers are going to be and, and what their spring looks like. Sure. So, you know, obviously we have a, a large contingent of, of our young players who, you know, likely are not going to make our major league team, but they'll be in major league camp, um, you know, starting early, right around that February 12th uh, window. And, you know, many of the, the names we've just mentioned, they will be in that camp and they'll be in that camp for a long time. And then kind of running parallel to the major league camp, we'll have what we call our minor league mini camp. And that'll be many of our, of our top players who aren't in big league camp and, we have an extended program for them um, that's geared towards some more individualized work, but also at the same time having them ready and prepared to, to play in major league games as needed. Obviously pitching is a big thing, but you know, early in spring training, you know, you might have a player, you know, get one at bat and say, I've had enough for today. And, you know, we have to provide support there. So uh, that's kind of the next wave. And then, as you get into March, um, you know, mid-March, I think it's right around the 10th, maybe the 12th, you'll have pitchers and catchers report. Um, and then a few days after that, you'll have the position players report. And a little bit later start because uh, I think minor league opening day is April 9th this year, which is uh, almost a full week after when it normally does. So uh, we're on a bit of a delayed schedule, but, um, you know, some of us will be down there for, almost 60 wonderful days in Arizona. So it'll be a long camp this year. Well, Andy, I know you got to be excited about getting down to spring training here in the next uh, few weeks and getting started, especially with so much uh, uh, talented young players now in this organization and more and more and more on the way. Andy, thank you so much for joining us tonight, and we'll we'll see you here in the next, uh, I'm sure, few weeks. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys, and uh, always appreciate the opportunity to talk about our kids and our program. It's exciting. Thank you, Andy. Andy McKay, Mariners Director of Player Development. Coming up next, we're going to visit with Chris Townsend, who covers the Oakland A's as we delve more into the American League West here in 2020. We'll be back as Hot Stove continues live from downtown Seattle after these messages. All things Mariners, all off-season. The Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Hey, everybody. Baseball returns to T-Mobile Park with opening day on Thursday, March 26th, as the Mariners make their 2020 debut against the Texas Rangers. Be on hand for team introductions, fireworks, and good times as we welcome back baseball to Seattle. Great seats remain at Mariners.com. Rick Riz along with Shannon Dreyer and Gary Hill Jr. is special guest right now in the first hour of Hot Stove is Chris Townsend, who covers the Oakland A's on the pre- and post-game shows and also has uh, a daily show as well. So we're going to find out about what's going on down there in the Bay Area. Chris, thanks a lot for joining us tonight, first of all. Gentlemen, how are we doing? 
We're doing just fine. We're getting ready for spring training, just like you are. And the question is, you know, what a year for the Oakland Athletics last year to see Matt Chapman and Matty Olson do what they do on the corners and uh, Bob Melvin and his magic with that ball club. How good are the Oakland A's going to be this year in the West, Chris? Well, I can tell you, we just had our fan fest on Saturday, and you can just tell the confidence that this team has. The core players, you know, Marcus Simeon last year arguably had the greatest year of any Oakland A, and that's saying a lot. You think of all the great players that have played here in Oakland, and just this confidence. You you mentioned Chapman. You mentioned Olsen. The starting depth, I mean, we have six legit guys to be starting. Uh, bullpen will be good once again. And just, you know, after winning 97 games two straight years, and losing two straight years in the wild card game. These guys went into the offseason with a bad taste in their mouth, and you could just tell they are hungry, they are confident, and really, and it's also this a little bitterness against the Houston Astros. So I see the A's and Bob Melvin having a big chip on their shoulder this year, but everybody's getting excited, looking uh, heading to Mason, get this thing going. You mentioned FanFest. I saw that Matt Chapman was talking long-term deal with the A's. I think he's one of the best players in the American League. I mean, top seven in MVP voting the last two years for good reason. You look at the offensive production, the defense to go along with it. I mean, is that for real? Is there a chance that we could see Chapman long-term with the A's? Yeah, they're talking about it. You, you know, Scott Boris was saying that, you know, his, you know, Chapman loves playing here. Chapman's saying all the right things, and you know, you, you talk about a guy that's won the platinum gold glove two straight years. I've covered this game a long time. You guys have watched it. He's one of the best defensive players that I have ever seen. I mean, he really he really could be playing shortstop. He is really that athletic. His arm is terrific. He's got the power. And I think he is the number one guy that Billy Bean and David Force have targeted to show everybody, because they're trying to get the new ballpark built by 2023, and to show the fan base that this thing is for real, that they're finally looking to keep these young players long-term. So they have targeted Matt Chapman as the guy to really be the signal to say everybody, hey, this is for real, and we're not going to do business like we have in the past. What's the latest on the new ballpark? Well, Dave Cavill, the president, has just been, I mean, it's like, where's Waldo? He's always up in Sacramento at the Capitol. He's been in Washington, uh, in Oakland. And basically the A's keep winning all these different votes that they've never won before, that in some ways never pursued before, as they were looking to move to Fremont, which is more towards the South Bay, then into San Jose, which people would know as Silicon Valley, and none of that ever worked. They're now committed to staying in Oakland, and he keeps getting this, these unanimous votes. That it's, like, amazing, and... It's on track right now. We talked about it on Fan Fest. I, I did the uh, on the stage show with Dave Cavill and Billy Bean, and they're talking about you know the environmental reports going to be coming up, and then after that we could really actually be for the first time it actually could be real shovels in the ground in Oakland down at Jack London Square down on the wharf. Is it play to their favor now that I feel terrible for people in Oakland, but they've essentially lost the Raiders and. We've seen the Warriors move across town. Does that play into favor with the A's at this point in Oakland? Oh, it plays huge yeah. because yeah, it plays it plays huge because you know it's funny. You had two major sports leave town like it was nothing. It's crazy. 
Warriors, you know, the hottest name in sports for, for so many years, moved across the Bay. Raiders are going to be in Vegas. There was no uprising. There was no, I mean, it was, it was really hard to believe, but this is really played politically for the first time. Cause there's been a lot of politics in Oakland where you thought the politicians didn't even care if they had sports. They rather have low income housing where the Coliseum is than actually have sports teams. But now I think, I think when you finally see the Warriors play at the Chase Center in San Francisco, you now see the Raiders change their name to the Las Vegas Raiders. It, it really has hit hard with politicians where they understand they can't lose all three. So this is really politically helped the A's. And once again, getting all these votes and winning all these, uh, you know, unanimously all these votes. I mean, it, it's very obvious that Oakland realizes they can't lose their last team. Visiting with Chris Townsend covering the uh, Oakland A's. You know, a lot of talent on that ball club. We talked about Chapman and Olsen and Simeon and that kid out in center field catches everything, Laureano. What does Billy Bean and David Force still need before going into spring training? Well, you know, it's very comforting for the A's to be in an offseason where they really don't need to make any moves. Because as you know, usually, I mean, they're scrambling to find people. But this has been an offseason where they really didn't need to do anything. And really the only competition in spring training is going to be at second base. And then what should be scary for the, the rest of the American League West you think about Chris Davis, who three years in a row hit over 40 home runs. He led Major League Baseball in home runs one year. He got hurt last year, his hip. Think about Chris Davis coming back with all the guys we've talked about. And if Chris comes back to be a 40-plus, 100-RBI-plus guy. And then how about Frankie Montas? Frankie Montas was going so well in the first half before he got popped for PEDs. I mean, he was looking at this guy was going to be an all-star. Came back and threw one last game. So it's almost going to be like adding two free agents right there. So it's the, the battle in spring will be at second base and then just filling out the rest of the bullpen. But, you know, you got to think last year and the year before, they were scrambling to find five starting pitchers. Now we're just talking about second base. You know, it, it's very strange having an offseason where the A's don't need to make a lot of moves, but it's been very comforting. Who are you most excited to see in that rotation? For me, I'm most excited to see Jesus Lazardo, who has been rated the number one left-handed prospect. I mean, this guy, well, we got two guys, actually, A.J. Puck and Jesus Lazardo. Both these kids, tremendous, tremendous fastball. They're upside, they're breaking pitches, they're strikeout guys, they're just absolutely electric. And we got to see them come up last year, and Jesus Lazardo pitched in the wild card game. And to watch both these kids come in with the confidence that they pitched down the stretch in meaningful games, and now they're going to get the opportunity to be in the rotation. Wait till you see these kids. They're going to come as advertised. These are premier left-handed arms in the rotation. Sean Manaya too, limited to five games last year. What are the expectations for Manaya this season? Yeah, that's another guy. You think Sean ended up being the guy that they picked because he threw so well. They picked him to pitch in the wild card game. Didn't work out. And he actually talked about a fan fest, how tough that was. The offseason felt like he let his teammates down. But, yeah, that's another guy you think about coming in. You know, with, with these three premier young left-handers, you know, Sean Manaya who threw a no-hitter against the Boston Red Sox. So the rotation, you throw in there Mike Fires, you know, Chris Bassett is another arm. I mean, you really have six legit options. And when I mention those two young guys, expect to see, I'm not going to say a six-man rotation, but they're going to have the young guys only pitch so much early so they can be strong for the second half and make that postseason, uh, that postseason push. 
But I got to tell you, there's a lot of excitement in Oakland because not only are there six legit options to start, but you look down at our AAA team. Our AAA team in Las Vegas is going to have a stacked rotation. So right now, depth is everywhere with the A's. Well, that's what I was going to ask you, Chris. We were talking about uh, the depth in the organization right now of, of talented young players. You mentioned Puck. You mentioned Jesus Lazardo. Who are the other names we might hear about uh, this spring, uh, some of the kids coming up uh, through the organization with the A's? Well, Caprillion, who they got in the Sonny Gray trade, he's a guy that you'll potentially see. You got Holmes. I mean, there's all kinds of guys down there at AAA. Grant Holmes is a, is another terrific arm. So we always joke that Fran Reardon, uh, who's the AAA manager, is just smiling going into this year because with all the home runs that they hit down in Las Vegas because of the new baseball down in AAA and the ball just flies there in the desert. But he's going to have some terrific starting pitching, and it's just going to be a lot of fun going into this year because you know you're not going to go with all five. So the fact that there are going to be guys down there, if somebody goes down at the big league level, there's going to be guys that are going to be able to come up and help out with Bob Melvin in the rotation. And expect the bullpen to be better than it was last year. The bullpen dipped a little bit because the year before they were fantastic, but I expect the bullpen to get back to where they were two years ago. It seems like, Chris, both these organizations are going to have a lot of fun watching the young players come through. Chris, thanks for joining us tonight. We really appreciate it. We hope to see you down in uh, Arizona here in the next few weeks. Yeah, we'll see you down in Mesa. All right, Chris Townsend, who covers the Oakland A's. That uh, concludes our first hour of Hot Stove here on our flagship station, 710 ESPN, along with Shannon Dreher, Gary Hill, I'm Rick Riz. Stay tuned for the second hour of Hot Stove. We're going to have uh, an interview with uh, young pitcher Justin Dunn. We'll also have comments from Mariners General Manager Jerry Depoto from the recent Media Day Luncheon a few days ago out at T-Mobile Park, talking about Mitch Hanniger and other players as well. Hot Stove continues right after this. Hot Stove Report. Going, going, goodbye baseball. On 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle app. And now we're getting ready to move into the second hour of Hot Stove tonight, live from downtown Seattle. With this reminder, single-game tickets are on sale now, which means you can purchase seats to some of the biggest games of 2020, including opening day against the Texas Rangers, series against the Yankees, Phillies, and World Series champion. How about that? The Washington Nationals coming to town, plus more fireworks shows than ever before. Stop by Mariners.com today. Rick Ray is along with Shannon Dreyer. And Gary Hill, that uh, Gary, that first hour, Shannon, went by real fast. Enjoyed talking with our guests tonight, Kyle Lewis, Andy McKay, and also uh, Chris Townsend, who covers the A's. Yeah, you just mentioned the Nationals. I mean, what a great year to have wow. the Nationals coming to town. Yeah. I can't wait to see Soto in person, which I've never seen. Yeah, 19 years fun. old and all that yeah. talent. Oh, yeah. my goodness. It's going to be fun. We're t- I think for another second or third straight year, we're going to be talking about the young players. Yeah, Not just on the Mariners, but in MLB, and I think it's an exciting look. For MLB. You know, it was one of the big stories we talked about on the air so much last year, kind of it still amazes me the production that we saw from 19, 20, 21 year olds, whether you're talking about yeah. Soto or Acuna or Tatis or Guerrero, who every one of those guys, by the way, will play at T-Mobile Park this year at some point, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, it's going to be fun. And then the kids with uh, Toronto that all came up over the last year, year plus, uh, I tell you what, I'm going to circle my calendar in the fanship too at the end of May when the Atlanta Braves come to town. Yeah, 
because Felix Hernandez signing a contract, a minor league contract with the Atlanta Braves. We're going to hear Jerry talking about that. Yeah. And uh, I'll tell you what, wouldn't that be something if he's on the ball club in that rotation coming back to uh, T-Mobile Park at the end of May? That would be something to watch. Really would. he? I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how the spring plays out for him. Atlanta's pretty stacked in they terms are. of the rotation. There's not a lot of room there, but there is a fifth spot open. So I'm, I think uh, all of us in Seattle are hoping for the best. We'll be keeping an eye on it. Everything's Absolutely. going to be different for him. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's, it's, uh, it'll be odd to walk into the clubhouse in Peoria and not see him yeah. at his locker or on the couch in the equipment <laughs> manager's <laughs> room. But we were all very familiar with his routine, and he was – has been such a big part of spring training, but uh, this is a good opportunity for him. They know a thing or two about pitching in Atlanta, and sometimes uh, a, a big shakeup like that, know. a different voice, sometimes those things can kind of click things into a different gear, and I hope it works out for yeah. him. You know, what's, what's so, I think, great about the game of baseball and being around the game for a long time, you see kids come up to the big leagues and uh, begin their major league careers, and they're around for however long, and some have great careers like Felix Hernandez. Some are in for a few days or a month. But you get a chance to, you know, watch their journey. And then at the end, here come a lot more kids. I mean, this has been going on for the last 150 years in the game of baseball, and now we're, we're in the middle of that process right now. We, we had a sad goodbye to say goodbye to Felix Hernandez at the end of last year, but now we get a chance to see the kids play and perform, you know, can't wait to see George Kirby. Can't wait to see Logan Gilbert. Can't wait to see all the other kids get here. Evan White. That's what, you know, baseball is all about. Remember in 1989 when Ken Griffey Jr., everybody's wondering, is he going to make the ball club? He's going to make the ball club. He hit 400 that spring. He had a great at-bat against Rick Sutcliffe. He had a long at-bat against Sutcliffe where he fouled away pitch after pitch. On a 3-2 pitch, he took a splitter for ball four. And somebody asked Jim Lefevre, said, when did you know that Junior made the ball club? He said, that at-bat. And we're going to see great at-bats by young players this spring. That's what's so exciting. We're going to see, you know, well-pitched games by very talented young pitchers. And uh, I think fans should be really fired up about this group of young players. It's funny to hear Jerry DePoto reference the Ken Griffey Jr. spring from that year because he was asked, you know, what it would take for, uh, I can't remember the player specifically, but Kelnick, yeah. uh, someone like that to Julio make. Rodriguez. Yeah, to, to make the club out of uh, – out of spring, and he referenced that <laughs> Griffith. Yeah, because that was a ridiculous spring. I mean, he really forced his way yeah. onto the roster. It would take that sort of spring, maybe even more. So, But it was funny to hear Jerry DePoto reference that exact spring. Well, kind of the awesome thing about that is I'm sure that Jared Kelnick's at home watching <laughs> right. on the stream going, challenge accepted. Okay. now yeah. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but at the time, watching him in 1989, the kid was the best player down on yeah. the field, you know. He had incredible spring, and sure enough, he made the ball club. Sure enough, he was in the opening day lineup uh, against Oakland, against Dave Stewart. First at bat, hit a double into the gap in the left center field at the Oakland Coliseum, and, and the rest, of they say, was, uh, was history for Ken Griffey Jr. We'll be back with more here in the second hour of Hot Stove. Rick Riz along with Shannon Dreher and Gary Hill Jr. We'll be back after these messages. Back to more of the Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. The 0-2 on the way, swing and a miss for strike three, and there is Justin Dunn's first strikeout in the big leagues. He strikes out Dario Agrizol. 
and gets out of the bottom half of the second. A strikeout for Justin Dunn, and that should do it for Dunn tonight here in Pittsburgh. Way to go, kid. That's right, Justin Dunn making his Major League debut last season as a Seattle Mariner after being a first-round draft pick a few years ago by the uh, New York Mets. Jerry making that big trade a few years ago, and this kid was he, he was nervous at that first start, but you saw him get better and better over his next uh, few outings, and it was great to have him around and, and get that first outing, that second outing, that third and fourth outing, you know, out of the way, Shannon and Gary. It was it was really nice to see this kid and, and see what this young man can bring to the starting rotation in the very near future. I thought it was a great reminder that they don't just come up. It's not mm-hmm. always automatic, and I, I, yeah. I got a good chuckle out of it because you do see it. Sometimes you get up there, you have no idea what it's going to feel like. Those yeah. nerves can take over. And you'd never imagine that could happen. And the way he was kind of looking at himself Surely. in the glove is like, really, really. But in time, you know, he got a lot out of that time sure. for the big leagues, and that's what was important. You know what was neat, Gary, was the reaction of the veteran ball players when he came back inside the dugout, the way they surround him, said, yeah. you know what, hey, that's just your first outing. You're going to have a lot of really good outings in the big leagues, and that meant a lot to him. You know, and we talk about it at the time, too, but it's why sem- September can be so important when you come into the year after having that experience under your belt. And we've seen it now. I mean, we talked to Kyle Lewis already, and we've talked to uh, some other guys on the show already that got that experience, that got a taste of it, that mm-hmm. kind of go into this season knowing what to expect a little bit more. And I, I just think that experience is huge. Exactly. You want to check that box right away. Yeah. Get to the big leagues. It's hard to get to the big leagues, even harder to stay there, as these kids are going to find out. But they're so talented, I think they're going to have a heck of a journey but it's nice to check off that box, get that first strikeout, get that first appearance under under their belts. And Justin Dunn did that last year. Now, uh, Aaron Goldsmith had a chance to catch up with uh, Justin, a very talented young pitcher. And here's that conversation between Aaron and Justin Dunn. Justin, man, it's good to see you. The last time we saw you, it was at the very end of the season. And what must have been an absolute whirlwind for you, a final couple of weeks of 2019. First of all, how's the offseason treating you? It's been going well. I uh, just got back from Florida. Kind of had a little time to process everything. Like you said, it's been a little crazy, but um, been back to work and excited to get going. So before we talk about last year, let's talk this off season and kind of where you are uh, geographically. You're a New York guy, but you train in Florida. How do you divvy up time with family and then also time trying to get ready for 2020? Yeah, so I spend most of the week at home, see the family. My brother is in basketball season, so it's kind of perfect. Get to watch him play. Then on the weekends, head up to Boston, see my girlfriend a good amount. And then uh, once December 1st hits, down to Florida to go to work and spend most of my time in Jupiter, Florida, um, until this year was January 20th was when I got home. Whether it's Jupiter or we know obviously a lot of Mariners guys uh, who have been in the organization for a while are in, are in Arizona, is, is this like a community of pro baseball players, minor league guys, and big leaguers who are hanging all around Jupiter, all doing what you're doing, and you're running into these guys uh, here and there? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I train at Cressy Sports Performance in Jupiter. So we have guys from Max Scherzer to uh, Corbin to Volstad to Josh James to Jesus Lazardo. Like, there's over 150, 200 guys that train there at a time. So it gets pretty crazy. How much are you able to actually uh, interact, talk with some of these guys, and how much are you just kind of staying tunnel-focused on what you're doing that particular day? There's a fine line. Um you definitely try to pick when you have Max Scherzer around, you try to pick his brain as much as possible, but you also don't want to get in the way of his work because he's there to work just like you are. So we talk um, in passing and try to pick the brains of as many people as possible, but it's very limited, short conversations. Is that ever an intimidating thing to approach a guy like Max? 
Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, you never want to feel like you're bothering him. You never want to feel like you're overstepping boundaries or ask the wrong questions. But also, while you have him his attention, you want to try to keep it for as long as possible. When you think back, Justin, to the last year or so of your life, I mean, it has been crazy. Uh, you're part of a, a blockbuster trade coming over to the Seattle Mariners organization. You have just a killer 2019 campaign in AA with the Texas League, in the Texas League with the Travelers. You get your call up, you bypass AAA, you come right up to the big leagues, and you get a chance to put your foot in the big league water a handful of times before the end of the season. I mean, when you got back to New York in the weeks after the year ended, how did you process everything? Um, it took me a little bit to like finally realize um, what had happened. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the year itself in the Texas League was it was pretty good. I mean, a couple things I would change about it, but that's just me being a perfectionist, trying to nitpick things. Um, and then obviously to achieve the three goals that I had for the year and was probably the biggest thing for me. Um, and then and what were those? Um, be an all-star in whatever league I played in, so whether that be in the PCL or the Texas League, um, achieve that and then play in the Futures game, got that one, and then get called up at any point throughout the year. So to be able to achieve all three was pretty special. Um, and then I think it finally hit when my brother was playing MLB The Show and like he was pitching with me and I was like, I really did that. So... Um, that was about a week into the offseason. I hope he punched somebody out. He got a couple guys. He got a couple guys, yeah. But he also liked to have his fun and let me get barreled a little bit at the same time. Brought me back down to reality. Hey, what was the Futures game like that weekend? It was special, I mean, to be around some of the game's best. Um, the up-and-coming crop that we have coming for the league is going to be pretty special from Wander Franco to guys like Gavin Lux who got up and did some pretty cool things and Evan and Jared um, to be able to enjoy that moment with them and achieve a dream that we all had for each other was pretty cool. You had a chance to spend essentially all season with the Mariners new pitching coach Pete Woodworth. He was your pitching coach last year in AA with the Travelers. Tell us about Pete. Uh, can't say enough good things about him. Um, we got off to a little bit of a rocky start. Um, but that's just me being close-minded. And then once I realized that he's really one of the first coaches I've had that genuinely have the best interest of his players at heart, um, I started to put my walls down, and we really opened up and now have an amazing relationship. I mean, every bullpen I throw, he gets a video within five minutes. We sit down and we talk. Um, he came and watched me work out in Florida. I wasn't even doing anything, just worked out and played catch. Came down, had breakfast, had lunch, um, just had his baby, so I congratulated him on that. And it's more of a friendship than anything. I mean, it seems like this is what a lot of guys have said about Pete. Is this kind of the clubhouse uh, feeling about Pete Woodworth, that you, as far as you can tell? Yeah, he was he was the glue in Arkansas when, when right. Mitch left. Um, For those who don't remember, Mitch Canham, your manager, yes. left to essentially get his dream job to At be OSU, the head coach yeah. of, of Oregon State. Yeah, yeah. so when, when he left, Woody kind of took the reins and – even still as the pitching coach, he was essentially the manager. I mean, Caesar did a great job stepping in to a clubhouse where a family bond had already kind of started to form and um, trying to figure out his way around the locker room. And Woody did a great job of bringing Caesar and then also keeping us hitting the ground running. Um, he was the guy when we went on skids, he was the one on the top of the tables giving pump up speeches. I mean, at one point he gave. He gave a Wolf of Wall Street speech. Um, yeah, we we threw him a big birthday party. I bought him some uh, I bought him some Air Monarchs, some dad shoes for his birthday. So that was pretty cool. The staff got together and bought him a couple other gag gifts, and um, he's he's just awesome. I mean, I can't say enough good things about him. 
it can be easy to forget as time moves on from last year, but that Arkansas team, Justin, that you were a major part of, was a behemoth, uh, not just for the Texas League, but if you were to look at that team and what it did throughout the minor league rankings, regardless of what level you're talking about, when you go back and look at that team, it'll be interesting to see how many big leaguers, right, were on that, especially every how many everyday big leaguers. What was your biggest takeaway from just the team that you had in Arkansas? I think the biggest thing for us is we ironically never talked about winning. Like, winning in our clubhouse was never pressed. We just kind of went out on the field, took care of our business, and knew we were going to come out with a win. And then even when we lost, it was just like, ah, whatever, like baseball. See you tomorrow. (laughs) Um, And we were really close family. I mean, we were having team barbecues. We were on the road. We had like 10, 15 guys out at meals together on the road. Everybody was in playing rooms. Uh, They had Nintendo Switch games on the bus in the locker room. Some like abstract, weird conversations between people that you never thought would be hanging out together. So we were just a big family, um, and everybody was pulling for everybody's best interest. So to be in that clubhouse, it was one of the first times in pro ball I was excited to walk into a clubhouse every day. Mariners pitcher Justin Dunn is our guest. When you think back to the camaraderie, it's, uh, I think, especially impressive when you give consider the fact that you – Uh, had just joined the organization right and you already feel like this is a kind of a family type atmosphere and you feel right at home Uh, was there anything that you feel like contributed to that it's kind of a chicken or an egg thing or is it just a was it winning that came first or the kind of the attitude of the team that came first I think the big thing that that kind of brought that to be was again Mitch Canham and Woody just stretched it on day one like they put the emphasis on family 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 even to the point in the locker room where Mitch and Woody went around before we even got there and moved lockers around to have different people from different walks of life sitting next to each other. Like I was sitting next to Joe DiCarlo and and Jordan Cowan and um, we had outfielders with pitchers and it was just a great, great mix of people. And um, when, when we got together, we had everybody pulling for each other. You know, I was pitching for Cowan and pitching for Donnie, and I knew that I could lay my heart out on the line because they were going to go in a hole and lay out for me. And I knew Lou and left field would run into a wall for me and Jared. You know, it just went around the, went around the whole team. It was, it was pretty contagious. So we got to, before we talk about your big league debut, we have to talk about some of these guys you played with. Because, I mean, you, you played with some guys who are now on the top 100 prospect list for 2020, and a lot of guys who are top prospects within the Mariners organization. You, of course, are both of those things uh, first of all Evan White was the big news really for the Mariners this offseason yeah. right the big extension uh, we'll be seeing him at first base as soon as opening day this year everybody within the organization raves about him as a guy and then as a first baseman which she excels at tell us about Evan White yeah so I mean first my relationship with Evan goes back to right after the trade my roommate from college Johnny Adams is in the org and he had played with Evan so as soon as I got traded um, I was trying to find people to live with and he was like, let's get an apartment off, off off, base and we'll live with E-White. And I was like, oh, cool. Put us in a group text. And he was very opening, open and uh, took me in right away. The apartment kind of fell through. But first day at camp, Ev was the first one to come up to me. And uh, him and Lou were the first two to kind of make me feel at home. So a lot of the transition goes on those two shoulders and especially Evan. I mean, for him to call when he got the deal the day before and just be like, hey, I'm taking this deal and I wanted you all to hear it first speaks to the character of him um and also the relationship that he tries to build with everyone and i mean he's a lot of the time the glue guy within 
within our Arkansas locker room for sure. And he was the first one to pick you up when you had a bad day. Um, also the first one to bust on you when your head was getting a little <laughs> too big at the same time. So there's a fine line between Ev, but I mean, person-wise, he's one of the best people I've ever met in my life. And then on the field, that guy's going to be a gold glove first baseman from day one in the big leagues to the final day he plays. He's the nastiest first baseman I've ever played with. How do you see this organization moving forward when you have a guy like Evan, who you know very well, who you've spent a whole year on the field with and off the field, and now he commits to the organization, right? He signs this extension. The Mariners are wanting to help make him a pillar of this organization moving forward. What does that do to your excitement since you were on the ground floor of this thing that is beginning to kind of take off a little bit? I mean, I'm super, super, super excited. Uh, we have some really good things brewing here. I mean, for just from our leadership um, convention thing that we kind of did earlier in the off season, and to know with a guy like Evan in our locker room, that philosophy, everything that we took from that meeting or from that three-day course mm-hmm. um, will be carried out because that's just Evan to a T. Mm-hmm. Whether it's preached upon him or not, um, like I said, he's the guy that's going to pick you up, also keep you in check, also be the one to teach a younger guy the ropes along the way um and honestly just be a best friend to everybody i mean he's he's one of the people that brings the locker room together for sure so on the field he's going to take care of that with his glove Mm -hmm. um he saved me a handful of times and hopefully he saves me a handful (laughs) more um so i'm really excited to play with him for a long time and and see what we we have going because we have a good group coming up we continue with justin dunn uh, Jared Kelnick obviously was uh, somebody that you're very familiar with uh, for a number of years at this point. Uh, when you saw what he did this year, uh, a guy who was drafted at the time of the season was drafted a year prior. It's ridiculous. Uh, what can you tell us about Jared Kelnick that we don't already know? Other than the fact that he's special, um, very, very, very hard worker. Um, I mean, I've never seen a 19-year-old with that drive. Um and dedication and and knowing what he wants more than Jared Kelnick. Like, that man has his eyes set on the big leagues, and there's nothing taking him off of it. Um, So that's first and foremost. And then off the field, great kid. Great, great, great kid. Um, I mean, that's really all there is to say. I mean, he's another one of our good friends, and he just kind of jumped right into Arkansas and fit in with everybody really well from day one. Who is it on that Arkansas team, Justin, that – Maybe isn't on the prospect watch list, right? That isn't jumping off the page to people. But you know, because you saw him every day, is the guy that people should be keeping their eye out on. I got a few. Um, Obviously, Art and Donnie. Um, Jordan Cowan is an everyday gamer. Like, you look at him and you might not think, like, oh, he's that good. But he's another one that saved me plenty of times, whether it be a big knock, a big walk-off knock in the ninth, or drawing a big walk, or having a a 15 pitch at bat to get Dustin May out of the game for Evan to come hit a two run homer off of a bullpen guy like that guy's a gamer from top to bottom um Joe Odom another one um got me through a lot of games um from game planning to having conversations on the bench and just being engaged um day by day to I mean Sam Delaplay now he's he's a dude so he's <laughs> he's not really uh there's not much to talk about with him and Gerber I mean we had a lot of dudes on that team um, basically anyone. I can go down the list. You mentioned first Art Warren, Donnie Walton. Yeah. We saw those two guys in September. Is Art, like, 
the party guy in the clubhouse? I mean, did, we know he's got the best voice in the clubhouse, but I mean, this he seems like he's kind of the life of the party. Is that fair or not fair? The sheriff? Yeah, the, sh- <laughs> the sheriff was the enforcer in Arkansas, but also he was the first one to play the wind song. Uh, he We had a fog machine and a light show, and um, him and Parker Markell were kind of the catalyst of that. But, yeah, when the sheriff speaks, that's what goes. Now, why the nickname the sheriff? Have you heard his voice? <laughs> is, that, uh, is that what a sheriff should sound like? I think so. I mean, there's been plenty of times where the locker room's been going crazy, and he just goes, hey. <laughs> that's a good one. Everybody just looks, and it's like, what's up, Art? So, yeah, he kind of commands the locker room for sure. Let's switch gears a little bit to you and your call-up as we continue with Justin Dunn. First of all, the moment you get the news, what do you remember the most about that moment? Um, I think just the the specialness of sharing it with Art, with Donnie, with Kalu. Um, and then just I remember my body kind of going numb because you obviously want it to happen, but you never expect it to happen when it does. Um and so that was that was a pretty cool feeling, and I had a feeling it was going to happen, um, but it was a whirlwind of emotions and happened really fast. What do you remember the most about your first day in Seattle as an official big leaguer? As an official big leaguer, um, I don't. It just it all. Like I said, I I tried to take it in, but it all happened so fast. I just think how welcoming everybody was. I was really nervous about walking into a locker room and. Um, to have Seeger, to have D, to have Marco, to have Wade to come over and just say hello and congratulations and even Felix um, being next to him. I think that was kind of the craziest thing in my in my first day was sitting next to at my childhood, the king, you know, and now he's my teammate. He's a he's a friend. I should be able to just go talk to him. It was almost to the point of where I was even scared to look at him the wrong way because I didn't want to uh, get on his bad side. But just adjusting to how to be myself within a big league locker room. How helpful was it to even just be able to get a handful of starts as a major leaguer going into the winter time, as opposed to uh, maybe not getting that opportunity and even if it was only a handful of innings, uh, not having that until 2020, the kind of the head start, the running head start that you got by being able to do that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, like I said, I'm a very goal-driven person, so um, that was the main reason I wanted to get up. I didn't care if it was for one inning, mm-hmm. two innings, 30 innings. Um, I just wanted to get my feet wet go into the off season and figure out what I needed to get better at because once I know what I need to get better at and I have the success of even one hitter I know I belong here and um, when when I can put my head to go down and go to work and say okay what do I need to figure out to stick I'm going to be able to do that and go into this season to be pretty confident about it are you open to sharing goals do you, your goals for 2020 have you come up with these yet my my main goal um honestly is is to learn from guys like marco um how to how to be a big leaguer every day um on the field stuff is all the same and i think that's what kind of clicked for me towards the end there of realizing it's the same game from arkansas to peoria it's all the same um but now the little intricacies of the game that make marco what he is the routine based person that he is that made felix what he what he is and what he was at, at the peak of his game um so that's first and foremost and then obviously when I get the comfort and um, feel like I'm ready to go, I, I think I can do pretty well. So never want to put out being an all-star, but hopefully be an all-star again. Um, that would be pretty cool. And honestly, just stay all year. Um, once I get up, just never go back. That, that's my biggest one. 
Hey, Justin, man, we're excited for what 2020 and beyond holds for you. We're so happy you're a part of the organization, and we do hope and plan on seeing you a lot more often and with a regular basis in 2020. Thanks for the time, man. It's great to see you. No problem. Good to see you, too. Thank you. Aaron Goldsmith, great conversation with young pitcher Justin Dunn. I loved his comment about goals. Learn from the veteran guys. Learn from Marco Gonzalez. This young man is going to have, I think, an outstanding career. Hot Stove continues live from downtown Seattle. Rick Riz along with Shannon Dreher and Gary Hill Jr. We'll be back with more here in the second hour of Hot Stove after this timeout. All things Mariners, all off-season. The Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Say, friends, Mariners Value Games return again in 2020, plus new this year. The first 10 value games of the season are even more valuable with $5 centerfield bleacher seats, just $5. The value continues with selects concessions and a team store item for $5 as well. Great seats at Mariners.com slash value. Along with Shannon Dreyer and Gary Hill, I'm Rick Riz. Hot Stove continues here in the second hour. A chance to uh, hear from uh, a young pitcher, Justin Dunn, with Aaron Goldsmith over the last uh, 20 minutes or so. But uh, a few days ago, Shannon and Gary, the Mariners, had their annual media day where Scott Service had a chance to visit with everybody, along with general manager Jerry DePoto. Jerry had, uh, of course, uh, asked a lot of questions about uh, the upcoming 2020 season. And uh, Gary, he had a lot of good things to say about a number of uh, players, including Mitch Hanniger. It's been a rough past year for Mitch. He had that, that serious injury last year with the ruptured testicle trying to come back and then had setbacks and now it looks like he's going to have another setback and won't be ready appears for the start of the season but uh, man a rough go for Mitch over the last uh, year or so his luck has just been dreadful and Jerry talked about it too and it was really only the there wasn't a lot of news that came out of media day but this was the news that came out of media day is Jerry DePoto talking about Mitch Hanniger. We found out Monday night that Mitch had had a setback, and it's probably going to result in a core surgery that might cause for him to miss most or all of spring training and likely delay the start of his season. So uh, this is all kind of coming together over the course of the last 40 hours or so, so it's still very fresh. But, uh, you know, he's attacking it very aggressively because he doesn't want to miss any more time. Mitch was in the midst of what I think was uh, – perhaps his best off season since certainly since he's been with the Mariners you all know Mitch quite well he's very diligent in his preparation working at Sparta Science up in the <laughs> Bay Area and all of his metrics the test scores athletic explosiveness were off the charts and he suffered a little bit of a setback on Monday afternoon which resulted in very quickly uh, hitting a doctor's office yesterday and you know as of last night early this morning arrows are pointing toward doing a core surgery and just trying to solve the problem once and for all. So that's likely where we're headed with this, and it's likely to be a six- to eight-week absence, which will lead us to uh, the tail end of March. And, you know, really, uh, we'll we'll give you more information as it comes, but was expecting uh, him to show up first day of spring training ready to go, but that does not appear to be the case. Shannon, this is rough news, uh, obviously, for Mitch because he was wanting to build on his all-star season from 2018, and uh, just it didn't happen for him last year. But he's a hard worker, and I'm hoping this kid comes back big time for the ball club. He is, and this is the time of year where you see this. In fact, we've seen a couple of players around MLB. This is the time of year and the time of the offseason where major leaguers really start to ramp things up. 
uh, from their what they've been doing in the off season and start going into the cages and kind of swinging a hundred percent or going more all out in their bullpen sessions. And this is what happens. You don't know until you turn it up. And unfortunately, uh, we saw what we saw with Mitch. And the important thing is going to be to you know take it. The appropriate amount slow, of time. Getting, get, healthy, slow, get healthy every before you turn step it up. Of the yeah. way. There's a whole yeah. season ahead of him. Plenty of disposition. He doesn't have to worry about losing it. The most important thing is is that he get healthy, have as close to, I would say, you know, a full spring as he can without having a spring and bring him back 100%. It's going to be interesting to me to see how the outfield shapes up now. Uh, I don't know, first few weeks, first month of the season. I mean, Malik Smith. Yeah, I think you can pen him in, and Kyle Lewis obviously appears like he's got a spot in the outfield. But uh, Jake Fraley may be the one that gets the big opportunity for the rest of the guy. I mean, Bishop, there's other guys in the mix, Dylan Moore, of course. But Jake Fraley could be the guy that sees a lot of those A-Bs. And I'm really excited about that. I had an opportunity to do a um, kind of FaceTime. FaceTime type interview with him a couple of weeks ago and we remember seeing him and it was it was a frustrating year with the injuries yeah, for him, him too and one call up was delayed because of one and then he, he was called up and then he had the injury and uh, it was his first full season because he came from the minor leagues and going straight through September and he just at the end of the year looked pretty worn down both physically and mentally and uh, to, to have him in front of me on a computer screen and, and be able to talk to him mm. for about a half an hour hear what his mindset was, uh, hear what he had been doing workout-wise and how he had changed some things and how it had opened his eyes to, I've got to do this physically, I've got to eat this, I've got to have this Mm -hmm. for my program, much like we heard with Kyle Lewis and the importance of that routine. Uh, He sounded just absolutely refreshed, raring to go, a lot of confidence from him. And he was one of the really pleasant surprises of spring training last year. I'm really hoping he can take the ball and run with it now. Yeah, this really opens the door for Jake Fraley to get more at-bats during the spring, a Braden Bishop as well. But you, you wanted that also that veteran presence, you know, yeah, to, to go along with uh, Kyle Seager. You wanted to see Mitch out there to take care of these guys. You know, uh, as Justin Dunn said in the interview with uh, Aaron Goldsmith, you know, when he said, what are your goals? Well, I'm, I'm here to learn from Marco Gonzalez. Marco Gonzalez really took two big steps forward over the last couple of years, 13 wins two years ago, 16 wins last year, 34 starts tied for the league high in the American League, the 280s plus. You learn from those guys because you're next to them in the clubhouse. You're on the field with them. You're watching them work on the mound or out there in right field or, or in the batter's box. Uh, so I, hopefully Mitch – Hanniger comes back uh, in a big way as long as long as he's healthy. I want to see him healthy. And, yeah, and that's the key because it's too bad he he it felt like he never really had a chance to follow up his All Star season last no. year. Just sixty plus games and you know it, the power production was there, but it it would have been interesting to see how his season would have played out. But hopefully we'll see him healthy for most of the season. Now, the other part of media day that I thought was especially interesting is you know Felix Hernandez now officially. Uh, signed with the Atlanta Braves in minor league deal. And Jerry DePoto asked about that. And I really enjoyed his answer. Uh, happy for him. You know, it's a, I, I said it and I told him when he was leaving, I hope he gets an opportunity to go pitch elsewhere and do the things that Felix can do. And, and I hope that happens for him in Atlanta. I truly do. He had a great career here. Uh, it did not end uh, as, as in the same way that it started. 
but I thought that his final outing here was one of the, it's one of the games that, along with Ichiro's farewell in Japan, uh, and I could count a, a handful of others. One of the games that I've seen in three decades in the big leagues that I will always remember. Uh, because it was a way a, a single player connected with a fan base that was incredibly special. There is, I, I doubt that he will have that same type of connection in any other market or for any other team. He will forever be a Mariner. He's just wearing a different uniform now. And I hope he succeeds. Um, I, everybody's rooting for him. He's a, he's a good guy. It was time for the Mariners to move in a different direction. And I think Felix would tell you it was time for him to move in a different direction. But I don't think there's any you know, animosity between the two. We, we root for him. We'll, we, we care about him. And sometime along the way, you will see him back here. I, I guarantee you that, whether it's just walking out and tipping his hat or, or paying tribute to the fan base because he really cares about that. So difficult sometimes to say goodbye to your heroes. And to see Felix make that final start last year was, was very, very emotional. And uh, we get a chance tonight to put together – as you did, something very special to, for Felix Hernandez in his amazing career when he came up as a kid in 2005 up until last season. Yeah, official now, no longer a Mariner, and we'll, we'll celebrate an amazing career, and we'll have some uh, some of those moments from that last ball game that I don't think we'll ever forget. That's going to come up next right after this. Back to more of the Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. He is King Felix, and he reigns supreme. One-two pitch, swing and a miss. Oh, did he get tied up? That was dirty from Felix. Barton with a Looney Tune swing. All-star, Tory Hunter. There's not a one player in this league that likes facing Felix. He is one of the nasty, if not the nastiest pitcher in Major League Baseball. He can get you to swing and miss with that changeup. He's scary. It's not fun. It's uncomfortable every time. Number 500 in his career for Felix Hernandez. Career strikeout number 1,000 for Felix Hernandez. 1,500 strikeouts. Number 2,000 for Felix Hernandez. 2,000 500 for Felix Hernandez, one of only 36 pitchers in Major League history to reach that plateau. Happy Felix Day. Playing in a miss, strike three, a changeup at 90 miles an hour, 15 punch shots for Felix Hernandez today. He has dangled that carrot in front of the Rays all day long, and they have tried to take a bite each and every time. Hall of Fame pitcher. Dennis Eckersley. How he walks to the mound. I mean, he is so confident, man. He has got it going on. (laughs) He really does. And for good reason. I mean, that's half of it. It's showtime, man, when he's when he's pitching. What a night for Felix. He is on his stick. He is a humming, baby. Silver Slugger Award winner Tim Salmon. And I was 0-2 before you could blink an eye with two fastballs that were by me. <laughs> and so, I, you know, I'm like, okay, I'll get my two-strike approach here. And then he snapped off a slider and it buckled me like I'd never been buckled before. And he struck me out on three pitches and I walked back to Butch. I'm like, yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> the King, holy smoke, has been outstanding. And his Palace tonight is Safe Gold Field. Hall of Fame pitcher Jim Palmer. Well, 
the hitters don't have much of a chance. Uh, you know, I mean, he does everything that you want to do. He throws a lot of strikes. He throws a lot of sinkers. He can strike you out if he needs to. Swing and a miss. Strike three, and there it is. Strikeout number 233 on the season. A new career high for Felix Hernandez, king of the hill. Welcome to King's Court. Nearly 40,000 in the King's Court, bobbing up and down the pitch. Strike three called. He got him at 93 miles an hour. And count him up. Ten strikeouts for the King tonight against the A's. Cy Young Award winner, R.A. Dickey. The last 12 to 14 inches before it gets to the plate, it's literally like someone steps on the ball, you know, and it goes straight down. Swing and a miss, strike three, a changeup, a venomous changeup at 90 miles an hour. We found out firsthand, you know, why they call him the king and why, you know, he is as good as he is. He knows that he has dominant stuff, and uh, he lets it be known while he's out there. It's just nasty movement. Everything now just has so much sharp movement to it. Swing and a miss, strike three, got him with that changeup. And there is strikeout number eight for the King. They're jumping up and down in that left field corner in King's Court tonight. There's only one King. One strike away from baseball history. Hernandez looks in. The windup and the 2-2 pitch. Strike three called. Felix Hernandez pumps his arms in the air. Felix has just thrown the first perfect game in Seattle Mariners history. He's being mobbed by his teammates behind the mound. He's done it. He's done it. One word, nasty. He was filthy. It's basically he's playing a video game, and it's we're, we're up there trying to trying to battle and compete, but honestly, it's it's like he's sitting there with a PlayStation controller just making the ball do whatever he wants. Swing and a ground ball right back to Felix. He's got it. Underhand flipped the first, and it's in time. The ball game is over. Felix Hernandez shuts out the Minnesota Twins. Swing and a miss, and down he goes, and down go the Boston Red Sox, and Felix Hernandez has pitched a one-hitter. Swing and a miss, strike three, and it's over. Felix Hernandez shuts out the Tampa Bay Red and Felix Hernandez was one kind of an ace tonight as he pitches his first career shutout. Felix Hernandez and the Mariners shut out the Minnesota Twins. One to nothing tonight here at Target Field. It is the fifth shutout of the season for Felix Hernandez. Here's the windup and the 0-2 on the way and a swing and a miss strike three and Felix Hernandez wins one to nothing. He shuts out the Yankees here in the Bronx. Hall of Fame pitcher Don Sutton. I saw a guy last night that has been outstanding and we may not have seen the best yet with four pitches that he can make dart and dive and go faster and go slower. He is a complete pitcher and I think he pitches with a quiet joy. He can pass now Tom Seaver on the all-time list. His 14th consecutive start going at least seven innings and allowing two runs or fewer and history might have just been made. His changeup looks like, you ever seen a cartoon Bugs Bunny when he was on the mound <laughs> and he throws in the guys are like one, two, three, you're out. One, two, three, you're out. That's what it looks like. <laughs> one, two, three strikes, you're out. One, two, three strikes, you're out. One, two, three strikes, you're out. Here's Felix Hernandez. First time swing of the bat this year. Here's the windup and the pitch on the way. Swing and a fly ball into deep right field. Chavez going back and this one is gone. Goodbye baseball. Felix Hernandez with an opposite field grand slam home run. I'm Larry. Larry. Hernandez. 
the 2-2 on the way. Swing and a miss. Strike three, and there it is. The King, Felix Hernandez, with career strikeout number 2,163, has just moved by the big unit, Randy Johnson, the all-time strikeout leader in Seattle Mariners history. This is home. This is my house. And Felix Hernandez is the all-time leader in Mariner history for innings pitch. Felix Hernandez with career win number 146 is the all-time leader in victories for the Seattle Mariners franchise. And the King moves on by Johan Santana. Career strikeout number 1,989. More strikeouts than any pitcher from the country of Venezuela. I'm one of the few who can count myself very lucky to get to play with a player who I will look back when I'm an old man and tell other people that I had a chance to play with him, much like other people do with probably guys like Nolan Ryan and, and those guys. I mean, this guy is that kind of player. And now Felix takes his cap off. Big roar. Listen to this crowd. Felix takes a bow, doffs his cap, walks off. For the final time. Tearing up, waving his cap as he crosses past the first base coach's box, points to the King's Court and the High Court. There are moments in baseball that you will never forget, and this is one of them right here. Thursday night, September the 26th, 2019. Felix Hernandez's career started. 15 years ago as a 19 year old kid he leaves with all the records any pitcher could possibly have he gave everything he possibly could give until there was no more to give he gave us his heart he gave us his soul that's why i call this home that's why i call Seiko field my house i love this game we got a lot of passion for this game and I love compete every five days. You know, I love the fans. I love what they, what they do with the support. All hail the king. Here's the ovation for the king. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. 